Good morning. Great to see you today. Have you got a Bible? Did you bring a Bible? Oh, don't be holding up the phone, man. You're trying to look at the NFL games early back there. Pac-Man Deluxe back there. Hey, we're in Joshua chapter number six. Thanks for coming this morning. Hope you're having a, a great Lord's Day here. Uh, many of you are in our small group program and ministry before you uh, headed into here to our time of worship. And uh, we're just glad that you're here worshiping. Had a great first uh, service this morning and things really went well there. And Trusting that God's gonna allow some great things to happen in our service as well. We're in Joshua chapter six. Now, it's been a long time since I've sung this song. So uh, let me see if some of you can help me with the words of it. There used to be a, um, a song that talked about Joshua winning the battle at Jericho. Any, any, anybody help me with that song? How did it go, man? Tell me, Joshua won the battle at Jericho. Yeah, I, but what were the words to that? Was it Joshua won the battle at Jericho? Or how, what, what was the words? Joshua, the, the what? He fit the battle? Joshua fit the battle at Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. Joshua fit the battle at Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. Well, uh, as we talk today, we're gonna be reminded that uh, these words are not hermeneutically accurate. <laughs> the walls didn't come tumbling down, the walls came tumbling out. And we'll talk about that very element today. Joshua chapter number six. And uh, I'm going to do something that I very rarely do today. And, and that is, first of all, give you five aspects. So if you're timing me today, you're saying like five things, man, we're going to be here like four and a half hours, dude. Um, because normally he has like two or three things and it takes like 45 minutes. But uh, I'm going to have to move quickly, but there's five things that I want you to see fresh and new out of this sixth chapter of Jericho, of Jericho, of Joshua. But we are at Jericho, okay? Hey, quickly, let's just, uh, let's catch up. Brickmakers, agrarian, agricultural type people in slavery for 400 years. It wasn't just any group. It was a group of people called Israelites. We know in the Bible they have another name. They're, they're also referred to as Hebrews. But this is the group of people through the lineage of Abraham. Remember Abram? When God said, hey, wealthy farmer, God selected him to be the father of a nation. He says, hey, there'll be a whole nation come after you, but you're going to have to give up everything that you have here. So he and his, Sarah, he and his wife Sarah, Sarah, left that land, and they become the father and mother, the patriarchs, if you will, of a chosen people. And that didn't mean that other people aren't important. I'm not Jewish. A number of you aren't Jewish here today. We're Gentiles, and we're just as important as Jewish, the Jewish nation in that sense. All people are important to God. Say amen. All people are important to God. And so this nation, as you know, wandered. They were nomadic. Uh, but, it's, but they fell under the bondage of Egyptians. So just a hair over 400 years, they're in Egyptian slavery. We, we're reminded a man comes along, not just any man, his nickname Mo, Moses, who of all things was raised in Pharaoh's house. He was a Hebrew. And uh, he led the nation out of Egypt. And not just anywhere, but he led them out into a nomadic existence, into the desert. And God took them to the promised land, to the edge. And so Moses said, hey, I'm going to send a dozen of you spies in. 
uh, be sure we can do this. And I know that God says to do it, so I know we can do it. Y'all come back, give your report. And remember, rebellion broke out in the camp. People said they could not go into the promised land. With that, the people, the chosen people, were sent back in for 40 years to wander. And not just any 40 years, 40 years times COVID-100. <laughs> because every one of those rebellious adults were going to die there. God placed a judgment on those people and they buried them. So it was their offspring, their, uh, primarily a young nation now, that Joshua is going to take across not just any river, but the Jordan River, not just any river, the Jordan River, but a Jordan River that's at flood stage. It was harvest time. And God didn't get, tell them to go build rafts. He didn't tell them to build a bridge. God told them to take the ark, put your waders on, get down in the river and see what happens. And that river stopped running. And a whole, what, million and a half, two million people came across a flood stage river. They celebrate at a place called Gilgal. And now God does two very important things. We'll talk about those things in just a moment in chapter five that we mentioned two weeks ago. For you honor students who are here, you should already be able to name those because I gave them to you two weeks ago. So be thinking about what the two things in chapter five that God told his people to do before they ever fought one battle. We'll come back to that. But today as we move into chapter six, we do so Two weeks ago, having the privilege in, in chapter five to see a little background, one of the few places that we're able to see something about Joshua. He was kind of a mystery man, a military man, no nonsense kind of guy. We know so very little about him personally. But in chapter five, we began to see him walking the battlefield ahead of time and God interacting with him. And we were able to see some of his heartfelt responses so we ended two weeks ago in Joshua 6, 1 and 2. And if you'll look in those two verses, you see an incredible statement. As, as Joshua is looking over the battlefield, God gives him a promise. He says, Joshua, you see that city right there? That city Jericho that has those two mammoth walls, an outer wall and inner wall. You see the height and the elevation of it? Joshua, I want you to know this. The king... Every bit of livestock and every human being inside of that city, Jericho, has been handed over to you. And Joshua understands a very important lesson. As a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, as a follower of Yahweh, Jehovah God, we do not fight for victory, but we're fighting from victory. The victories that God gives us, he's already won them. He's just letting Joshua know about what is just, in fact, about to unfold in front of his eyes. And so today, I want to take you back. Joshua chapter 6, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. Let's do this for the sake of time today. Five things, that gives me four minutes and eight seconds per item, right? So I can get you out on time. Don't want to hold anyone over into lunch. We don't want to do that. Chick-fil-A's not open, though. Nothing else is worthy, all right? But uh, five things here in just a moment. But let's read, for the sake of time, just the first five verses. If you didn't bring a copy of God's Word, then uh, if the person's attractive next to you, try, slide over. Here we go. Now, the gates of Jericho. Thanks for that little laugh, okay? Now, the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out, no one came in. Hey, that's pretty secure, isn't it? 
Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. One trip, six days. Have the seven priests carry seven trumpets, ram's horns, in front of the ark, and on the seventh day, march around the city seven times. So do you have the plan now? We're going to come out. No need to get your, your archers ready. No need to get tar fireballs that we're going to sling over the wall. None, none of that. All we're going to do, we're going to take the Ark of the Covenant. It's going to be the centerpiece of what we're doing. We're going to carry this gold box. The priest, they're going to have the ram's horns. We're not going to say a word. And we're just going to walk around, we're just going to walk around the perimeter of those walls one time and go back to camp. Day two, around the walls one time, go back to camp. Until day seven. And on that day, we're going to do something different. On that day, we're not going to walk around once. But again, we're going to walk around that city seven times and the priests are going to be blowing these trumpets. And look in verse 5. And when you hear them sound a long blast, kind of like Josh up here, you know, he has these secret signals in music, you know. When you hear this, when we modulate, you need to do this. Well, when you hear the long blast, look at what he says. Have the whole army give a loud shout and the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up. Now notice this phrase, this is fascinating. And everyone will go, look at it now, this is important, straight in. Five things I want you to jot down and you're gonna to have to write in a hurry with me today. Five elements that I want us to take from these verses. You see, the challenge for me is this. How do you take a passage in Joshua 6 and communicate to ETBU students? I mean, what does it say to a college student? What does it say to a pastor back here on the back row? What does it say to our students? And so there's five things that God has just laid on my heart. They're not alliterated. They're not slick. They're not even cool. They're just what God has shared with me to share with you today. And so if I'll be obedient to that, I know God has some purpose and reason for these five elements. So I want you to write them down. And here we go. Number one, first thing I want you to write down. When you and I face what seems to be an insurmountable obstacle, we need to stay united. We need to stay united. Did you kind of note, as we read this, about the specificity, how specific God's plan was? You get over there in verse 10, 11, 12, and you begin seeing there's some extra things like Tell them to keep their mouth shut. We'll get to that in just a moment. But it's very specific. I want you to do this. I want, I want the ark right here. I want you to walk around. I want the priest to have these instruments. I want you to shout at this time. Everything was very specific. And it was obvious that God wanted everything done in unison. So often, when you and I are facing challenges, one of the first things that we notice in our lives is our lives as a whole are fragmented. Strained relationship here. Best buddy and I are not talking anymore. Dating relationship gone bad. One of the things that I would just offer counsel to you that we can take out of Joshua 6 is that if you and I are going to be leaning up against an obstacle and a transition in our life that's going to be difficult, it might be wise for us to stay united with those around us. Pastor Kevin and I, uh, man, 
He's always got these incredible statements that he's sending out. He's a social media guy. I'm a social media not. I don't do spacey book. I don't do talk and tick. I don't do any of it, man. And I ain't getting on it. I, I don't care about social media. Somebody says, man, you need to wear some skinny jeans and do social media. I said, skinny what? No, I'm not doing any of that stuff. I don't care about it. But, you know, you know, Pastor Kevin, man, he's a little more tech savvy. He's sending out cool stuff. But, you know, he made an observation to me the other day that he probably didn't even know that it really meant anything. But it, it, it meant a lot to me. He said, you know, you know, uh, we, we were talking about one of the ladies in our church had kind of fallen on some difficult times and uh, was really in a bad place spiritually. She's a bad place physically as well. And Pastor Kevin said, you know, when you think about it, we're all really messed up. All of us. But the only difference is some of us know enough to go to a place where we can get help. And you know, when he said that, I didn't think about that that much. But you know, the truth is in this service, every one of us have got some, you know, we got some areas in our lives that are kind of messed up. We got some challenges, don't we? We've got some obstacles. And the things that separate people and believers Believers are, should be individuals that know they need help, number one, and many times know where to go. And many times where they go is that inner circle. Now, I want you to see something about this whole concept of God's strategic plan here. It's not very conventional, is it? I mean, this is about as weird as you can get. Now, for my honor students, are you ready for those answers from chapter five? Two weeks ago, I told you there's two things that God changed dramatically as now the children are in the promised land. You remember what number one was? Number one, some of you peeped and you said, I know the answer now. Somebody did cheat notes, I saw you. But number one, God told the people what? No more food, no more manna, no more quail. Hey, you're gonna have to forage for your food. This is the land you're gonna take, so you're gonna have to start eating off this land. I mean, I mean you're gonna have to hunt, you're gonna to have to take, you're gonna to have to plunder. Not gonna be a lot of opportunity to do a lot of farming. Hey dude, we're gonna be on the move. We're gonna be at war for the next seven years. And uh, with that in mind, hmm, you better find some food and find it quickly. The second thing out of chapter five that we learned that God did was all of a sudden, after all these years of wandering for 40 years, the young men were not being circumcised. Now, for you that know what circumcision is, I ask you, men, do you wanna be circumcised and then go fight a battle right after your circumcision? Not, man, talk about some paralyzation. I mean, think about that. These are what? These are non-traditional kind of ways to fight battle. The way that great military strategists tell us to lead an army is lead them through their stomach. You gotta feed them well. Keep their feet dry and feed them. And, and what has God done? He's taken the food source away. Number two, what did he do? All you males, you need to be circumcised. That's a special mark for the Israelite children. You need to be circumcised. And then of all things, think about it. The third thing that he did was he said, hey, you know what? The battle plan is to march around the wall. Like walk, march around and do what? Set bombs, take dimensions, Reconnaissance, no, no, just walk around the wall. Pretty unconventional. 
But I want you to know this over in the 10th verse. Look in chapter 6 and verse 10. Another unconventional thing was what? Keep your mouth shut. I want this done in what? Silence. I don't want people talking. Let me tell you a little secret since they're right across the hall, okay? You know, about a few weeks ago, um, you know, we are about to launch a new campus. And uh, new campuses are expensive. And, you know, I've noticed this about challenges in any New Testament church. Whenever a church runs up against challenges, people begin to do what? They begin to talk, don't they? And here's what I hear most of the time. We can't. We can't do that. We, it'll cost too much. It'll, 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 it'll be too difficult. Have you ever noticed that about us? I mean, as soon as we walk into a challenge, all of a sudden, we start talking. One of the things that we might want to take away from this is that when we're facing a huge transition and challenge in our life is let's keep our mouths shut. Maybe one of the greatest verses and most overlooked verses in all the Bible is Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. You know, we live in a culture where we've always got to have sound. Earbuds, We've got to have the headphones on. I mean, athletes going to a game. I mean, man, when I was playing sports, everybody was silent. You know what I'm saying? There, man, there wasn't all that. I mean, what would we carry, a cassette player or something? I mean, you know. I, I mean, but, you know, now everything's full of sound. Our senior adults now turn the TV on when they come home and they leave it on all day. They don't even watch it. They just like the chatter of it. And one of the missing elements, I think, the focal point and the ability, hey, you talk about getting somebody's attention, you let them walk around 16-foot walls, masonry product, the best that they had at that time, double-lined walls with archers on top of it. I mean, that will get your attention pretty quickly. And so we have this unconventional concept. But what was important here is the attitude in agreement, this unified spirit. And can I just toss this out? Crucial. When you and I are facing challenges and transitions and obstacles in our life, probably not the best time to have a lot of broken and frayed relationships. Unified effort. Unified spirit. Number two, write it down quickly. We've got to hurry. When facing overwhelming odds in transition, do not yield to temptation. Or excuse me, to intimidation. Intimidation. There's our word, intimidation. I shared with a group of worshipers the first hour Three days ago, I had this as my devotional thought, Paul's famous words out of 2 Corinthians 4, I believe it was 8 and 9, where he said, um, um, we are pressed on every side. Remember that verse? We're pressed on every side, and we're overcome by troubles. And then he went on to say what? But we're not what? We're not crushed, depending on which translation. We're perplexed, but we're not destroyed. We're not crushed. We are driven to despair, if you will, and, but, and we're hunted down, but we're never abandoned by God. And that, that verse really connected with me on that particular day because so many times in our lives, we have these moments when we're just intimidated by things. The law school admission test, a job interview, a marriage that's in trouble and crisis. It's kind of like, man, this thing's coming off the rails. How do we, I just, I just don't know if it can be done. I mean, a challenge of building a student ministry, a challenge of, 
uh, overcoming something in our life that's got, us, got a real stronghold on us. I, I don't know what it is about our fellowship right now, but we're, we've got several members in our fellowship that are dealing with some kind of addiction, not all the same kind of addictions, but whatever kind of foothold alcohol can get in your life or drugs can get in your life or porn. Got several of our guys that are really into this porn thing, man, and trying to, come on, man, man, that, man, that, man, that, man, that stuff's going to just rot your gut, man. That's going to set expectations in relationships that aren't going to be there, man. That's not God's way for you. And man, those, those kind of things have tentacles and they grab a hold of our lives and it's just constant intimidation. And we began to look at our lives and all of a sudden we start thinking about chronicling the disappointments, the guilts, the past failures, failures. And the next thing we know, we are yielding to intimidation and we're in the same format saying we can't. We can't overcome that. I'm telling you, man, that will derail. It can limit our future. I jotted down a couple things on your outline that are significant when it comes to intimidation. The first one is this. You might want to jot it down. Setbacks are usually setups for our future. When we have what we call, think about setbacks or disappointments or past failures or something we're dealing with in, in the guilt realm, many times that setback is actually a setup for our future. Oh, man, what was God doing with this? I mean, that's crazy having them walk around the wall. At least we think it was crazy. And that very intimidating look at those walls day in and day out was setting the stage for God to have immense glory. He was about to deliver into their hearts and hands an incredible victory. And so what was a setback in their mind of all places out of 32 battles that we're going to fight over seven years, hey, why do we have to start with Jericho? I mean, of all the places, the most fortified, the crossroads of that part of the country, I mean, of all things, these are seasoned warriors. They have a, an extremely powerful king. They have weapons. They have enough food in their last years. They don't have to come out. We've got to go in. It's, 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 it, I mean, it's almost a perfect storm for failure. But God had that, what they appeared in their hearts to be a setback was actually a setup for something in their future. I just jotted the second thing down. Many times our past failures, setbacks, and messes. By the way, any of you ever made a mess in your life? Let me see your hands. Three of you not telling the truth over here. We've all made some messes, haven't we? Hey, those become messages oftentimes of hope for others. One of the things we're trying to do here in our church is we're trying to take some baby steps in building our men's ministry. I know tonight there's three of our guys that are going to start a, a men's Bible study together. They're kind of co-teaching them. So thankful for their efforts to do that. That's pretty amazing to me because our women's ministry is strong and vibrant. Man, you ladies ought to be applauded. Y'all are great at pulling up a table. Ten minutes later, your whole life story is laying out there on the table. Men, mm-mm. By the way, you ever seen two women talk in the hall and two men talk in the hall? Women, their noses are about this far apart, and they're going to be using lots of hands. Lots of hands when women talk. Lots of facial expressions, lots of hands. And you measure it next time. They won't be a foot apart. You ever seen two guys talk? 
Mm. Way away. It's going to be a whole different discussion. As men, we're independent warriors. We don't want anyone to know that we have weaknesses. We're macho. We've got everything under control. We're cool. We're hipsters. I mean, we got it all wrapped up. And nothing can be further from the truth. And so I just share that with you because understand that it means something when we hear someone sit down who's walking through, for instance, in, in grief or in dependency or somebody struggling scholastically with a particular subject or, or they're struggling in our marital relationship. And all of a sudden, we began to learn what Pastor Kevin shared with me earlier about, hey, we all got some issues. The separating point is the ability to know that we all need help and where to go for that help. And all of a sudden, a message of something that's going on in someone's life that's very devastating, walls that seemingly cannot be overcome, all of a sudden, they begin to have a message of hope because there's some others that are experiencing very similar things. They've just been too embarrassed to admit it. Intimidation. You and I need to be careful that we don't allow intimidation to overcome us in our life. I wrote down seven or eight things in 31 years of ministry that I personally have dealt with at four or five different stops in ministry. I just kind of just sat a couple days ago and said, you know, what, what have I personally dealt with where people have had disappointments and setbacks, apparent setbacks, that they just didn't feel like they could overcome? I wrote them down, not holding a job, drug use, abortion, early sexual activity. I remember one gentleman that, man, he had been told his whole life that he was a loser. His whole family had convinced him of that. He, he was in his early 30s, and that's all he'd been ever told since he was a small child. You're a loser. You can never do that. You'll never be able to do that. And so much of his life had been fragged. That was the wall that he was up against. I can't. I'm a loser. Everybody's always told me I'm a overcoming abuse, chronic, chronic health problems, physical appearance, poor self-image, and the list could go on and on and on. Can I tell you a secret? Courage is not the absence of fear. I shared with our first group of worshipers, I'll share with you, one step in here to come up over there, four steps to get on the platform, Every time I take those kind of steps, I'm scared to death to speak to you. That has never gone away in me. If I had a choice today, I'd be sitting over here between LaRue and Leviton. That's where I belong, in that chair right there between y'all. Thanks for social distancing. I mean, I belong there, you know what I'm saying? Let some guy in skinny jeans be leading this, man. I need to be sitting right over there. I feel more comfortable. Then I can check Higginbotham and see if she's really taking notes or just acting like it. I mean, I mean, that's where I belong over there. I don't think the fear ever goes away. But courage is the ability to work through the fear. Courage is the door. On one side of it is the intimidation that many people are not ever willing to break through with courage, but that door can swing open to unlimited blessings on the other side. And the difference between the overcomer 
is the ability and the strength to be able to attack that door, to pass through that door of blessing and opportunity that lies and get there on the other side. And that's what a, a million and a half people had to decide. Do we really want to mess with these two walls of Jericho? I mean, really, do we really want to do that? And see, courage is that door that allows you so many times in your life to that promised land. I just got a weird feeling right now that somebody in this room is right there at that door and fear has kept them away from attempting something that God has spoken into your heart to do. And you just haven't had the release yet, the courage yet to break through that. Don't know who you are, but I hope the Holy Spirit will give you a peace. I don't think he'll necessarily release you from all fear, but I do think he'll give you incredible courage. And that door of courage will allow you to spring through and drive through to the promised land where God desires you to be. But see, intimidation. And you know, isn't it something? God loved these people despite everything they had done. All their past disappointments, all the rebellion, lack of faith. Remember, Moses got them out of the land, got them across the Red River. And first, we want to go back. We want to go back. What, what did King James say? They started murmuring. God gets them to the promised land. We can't. We can't. God had had enough. So here in the desert shall you lie in graves. And now the people are back. They've crossed over with this great miracle. And now here they are again, a new young generation. Are you going to attack these walls as God has called you to attack them? Or are you going to back away? And again, intimidation can really disrupt a bright future that God has with him. Number three, y'all aren't listening fast enough. Jot it down. Number three, when facing overwhelming odds and transition, walls become gateways to promise. Now we can remember, the, really those are the three words I wish you could take anything with you today. Gateways to promise. Now look in verse five and look in verse 20. Look in verse five. We read that a moment ago in verse 20 in your Bibles. If you have NIV, American Standard... Probably one of the revised, any of the revised translations, you're going to have a C word in the English that is the word collapse. Do you see that in verse 5 and verse 20? In the Hebrew, that English word, when you go back and you look at the derivatives and you study the word, it's interesting because in the Hebrew language, it literally means fall before itself. It falls before itself itself. One of my favorite aspects of this incredible story, these walls tumbling down, is that sense of how these walls fell. In fact, let's read verse 20 together. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, and the wall collapsed, there it is, so everyone charged straight in, and then they took the city. The walls collapsed. Remember singing that little song a few moments ago? And the walls came tumbling down. Really, the walls didn't come tumbling down. The walls came tumbling for the first time in ancient history. Archaeologists tell us the walls came falling out. I don't know if any of you are really into archaeological digs, archaeology. 
I've been on one small dig in the tail. I'll never go back. It's, that really doesn't light my fire. You know what I'm saying? Digging around in sand and trying to find ancient artifacts. But there are people that love that. And archaeologists that have really worked in this Jericho area, they have tremendous across-the-board disagreements about a number of different things. But there's two things that by consensus they almost always agree on. Number one, the storehouses for the city were full of vegetation. They were full of food when the city fell. They can tell that thousands of years later. So the city was overtaken at harvest time. Does that ring a bell with you? Jordan River full, it was harvest time. And the city was not under siege for, for, for very long. If the city had been under siege for very long, they would have eaten a lot of their reserves away. They would have been gone. But the second thing that's interesting is the debris from the walls was not like every other conquered ancient city of that day and time. For instance, 70 AD, when the Romans battered the walls at Jerusalem, guess what happened to the walls? They battered the walls from the outside and they knocked them inside. Every ancient city except Jericho. But the debris of Jericho walls fell outward. The only city in excavation and archaeology that we've ever seen that has done that. In other words, it imploded and the debris fell outward. And when it fell outward, it almost formed with those double walls, the debris in such a way, it was higher near where the wall was and the debris was lesser the further away it got and it formed all the way around that city in those perimeter walls, almost a ramp where any kind of attackers, are you ready for this? Could go straight in. Just as God had told an incredible military leader, you see that city right there? Those walls that you think are impenetrable? You'll have an opportunity to go straight in. Every single thing, every single body, every single animal, every single human being, everything in that city will fall under your sword. Write this down. Never yield to the thick walls of your opposition that they are meant to drive you out of the race to your destiny. Never allow the walls of opposition, never allow these kind of things ever to interrupt you in such a way that they knock you off the destiny that God has for your life. You know, we were talking the other day about the word overcome, being overcomers. You know, when you think about it, overcome is interesting as a word, isn't it? Because one side of overcome, we hear people say, well, I was overcome by COVID. I was overcome by smoke. Fatigue overcame me. Overcome can mean one thing on that side of things, but on the other side, when you say, I am an overcomer, that means exactly the opposite. So I just want to encourage you today. When you and I are facing odds and transition, we need to understand that gateways to promise often are what's formed out of walls. Quickly. Last couple of things. Number four, when facing overwhelming odds and transition, release a new sound of victory. You and I, the ability to release new sound in victory. 
I was looking at our congregation across the street, that service much older. Many of those folks over there are battling the same problem that they had for many years. And you know, uh, when you think about these walls, the Bible teaches us that Jericho, it fell because of one thing. It, it fell because of what? A sound. Now, I wish we had time to talk today, but we don't. I see the counter on me right here. Uh, you know, we could talk earthquake. We could talk vibration. Some of you are too young to know about Memorex. Memorex used to be the tape company that had this operatic singer sing at such a pitch it would break a glass. I mean, there's all kinds of theories about how God brought those walls to fall out. But you know, the bottom line is this, and this only, really. There was a new sound when those walls began to fall. The seventh day had a different sound. It wasn't just some horns blowing by some priest, but now there was a new shout. Now, it wasn't just any shout. It was a shout of victory, wasn't it? Everyone yelling in unison. I mean, just imagine that. All the warriors, everyone yelling the pitch of their, uh, the highest pitch possible. And it was no ordinary sound, but it was a supernatural sound of praise. It was really a combination of two things. It was their faithfulness to do what God had told them to do. And it was his faithfulness to bring the walls down as he promised. I wrote this in my notes, jot this down, a unified shout of praise that the walls of your own obstacles will bring God's yes over his promise. I just wonder today if there's something, man, I don't know, God's just gnawing at me about that. If there's something in your life that God has spoken to you and you've backed off from because you feel like the wall of opposition is just too big. You know, the, one of the great principles that we learned from day one in Joshua was God is not limited to time. And if you and I cling to that today, was it not God that said, Joshua, Moses is dead. Just as I was with him, I will be with what? With you. That's a great principle for us today because what does that mean? That means God is also with what? With us. The same God is fighting with us that was fighting with Moses and Joshua. The same one that brought those walls down can interact into the walls that we're facing and bring them down as well. Isn't that great to know that God is still fighting alongside of us today? Maybe today what's needed in your life and my life is a new sound of victory when we face those. Let me tell you something, every single day, the most important decision you'll make is the attitude that you choose. You will not choose anything, you'll not make a more important decision any day of your life other than your attitude. You choose your attitude every single day. I, I stopped the service at the end over here a while ago. You know, it's not just our senior adults, it's people in general, they don't, we don't like change. And when we changed schedules about a month ago, I was just wondering how it kind of go. We're in week four of five Sundays that we've had. Last week, we were in a unified schedule because of our deacon ordination service. But uh, I just sat down with that group and I said, I just want to thank you all for your incredible positive spirit about making this change successful. They have kind of adopted an attitude 
of, man, this service is going to have some life. I mean, I've seen some people clapping in there that are excited about worship that I haven't seen since I was a kid growing up. They were old when I grew up here, and they're still over there. But an attitude makes all the difference. But everything was different on that seventh day, that seventh time around, that long trumpet sound, and there was a new sound of victory. It was a yes, God can. It was God has promised that this is going to happen. It was them starting to see the benefits as those walls became coming, falling outward. And it was the rewards as they began to move straight in through that debris into the inner part of Jericho. A new sound of victory. Finally, number five, we got to hurry. When facing overcoming odds and transition in your life, it's so important that we honor God. Now, can I ask you a question, just a common sense question? In chapter 5, God has told 2 million people, no more food. Now, where do you get enough food for 2 million people? Well, you can fish a little bit, maybe down in the Jordan River. You can catch a hog or two. You can really stoop down and eat an armadillo if you have to. But where do you feed 2 million people? So as these walls begin to crater, in fact, let's look at it together in verse number 17. I want you just to see this unfold. The city and all that was in it are to be devoted to the Lord. The Lord's going to kind of give them some instructions. How, how are you going to handle your success? Something good's about to happen to you. What I want to know is how you're going to handle that. In fact, I don't trust you to handle it, the Lord says. So I'm going to give you a specific outline here of what I want to happen when these walls come down. Here we go, verse 17. The city and all that's in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. Look in verse 18. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and being trouble on it. And all the silver and gold articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord, and they must go into his treasury. Look in verse 20. And when the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. There's that word we looked at a moment ago. So everyone charged straight in and they took the city. Look in verse 22. And they devoted the city to the Lord. Some of you have this translation. And the city was under the ban for the Lord. And they destroyed with the sword every little thing in it. Men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep and donkey. At the end of the service while ago, I was a little late getting over here because a young lady in a mask with her little two-year-old child came up and she said, Pastor, you have time to answer a question? It was like, no, I got to get to the 1030. So no, I didn't say that. I said, sure I do. That's when Josh Thomas like raises his eyebrows. We got that service. I, I know, but this lady has a question. And she said, I'm just devastated. 
I've got my two-year-old daughter right here. Man, she was a cutie. Had her mask on too. She was standing there. And she said, I'm just devastated that my God would kill small children, donkeys and cattle and everybody in that city. I don't think that's right. Pastor, I just don't understand a God that you want me to love, why he would do that. That just happened to me right over there, right in front of the platform, first service. I said, hey, hey, hey. Great, great point, great question. But I say, were you here when I talked about Rahab? Yes, sir. The prostitute lady? Yes, ma'am. I said, do you remember something that Rahab said to those two spies? Rahab said for what? For hundreds of years, 400 years before this, when you were in Egyptian bondage, we knew of you and your God. And then Rahab said, when our people heard what your God had done for you and parted that sea and released you from that servitude, our hearts melted with fear. We had an opportunity to turn to the God that you worship, but we didn't. That was 440 years later now. And, and again, Rahab told the spies right on the spot, hey, we've heard about you getting closer. We heard what you did through the kings on the other side of the Jordan. We knew you were coming. We knew how powerful your God was. And we did not turn from Baal. We're still worshiping the same cow. And I said, so ma'am, I don't really have any heartburn about God doing that. Because every day, just a few miles from here, depending on which way you point, regional or Christus, there are people dying in those beds without Christ. And those that die without Christ in those beds or anywhere else without the Lord Jesus, they are being slaughtered and sent into damnation. And I said, but they've had the opportunity. They had a choice. Everyone's got to make their own choice. And so as we think about this concept of God saying, hey, I want you to do something here for me. Remember I said there's a question? Wouldn't you think all those cows, all of that food in those, in those storage vats that archaeologists have found, don't you think it would have made sense if God had said, hey, Now's the time you get to live off the land and your plunder. Get in there and eat till your hearts are just stuffed full. But God didn't do that. God says you don't take a solitary thing from that city. And the sacred things, the gold and silver, the priest, that's the only thing we'll take out of it. That will go into the Lord's treasury. But all of that food you destroy, all of that livestock. And I ask you a question. Does that make practical sense to you? It doesn't make practical sense to me either. But what does make spiritual sense to me is this. God wanted one thing from his people and he wanted it very desperately. He wanted them, out of the victory that he gave them, to honor him and to be faithful and obedient to him. And so what he does is he lays the gauntlet down. You know the amazing thing about it? 
31, 32 battles total over these seven years. They're going to win every single battle from this point on, except AI. We'll get to that in the next week or so. But, you know, the amazing thing is it all started here by the willingness of the people to say, hey, I just remind you, these people for 40 years have known dirt, dust, and discouragement. They don't have anything. The Bible says they got the same shoes. They had to wear them for 40 years and they didn't wear out. They got the same serape, the same outer robe that they had when they came in. Hey, it didn't wear out. And now all these clothes, all the plunder of Jericho and the crossroads. And there it was. You know, in a Christian life, there's two things that most believers never do. They never give sacrificially, financially. And they never win one people, one person to the Lord Jesus Christ. Two things that in evangelical circle we've said for years take a long time to develop, givers and soul winners. Most believers go to their grave. They've never given a tithe They've never put into the storehouse financially. You know, I wonder if we don't see a little bit of a clue right here as to God's heart about what possessions and things, what begin to happen to people when he gives. All of a sudden, we start thinking those things are ours. Even in our churches today, we give a God a little here, a little there. I hear those things. Well, the church mismanages it. They mismanage it. They don't need it. Tithing's an Old Testament concept. I mean, I've heard it all. Giving into the storehouse, that's Old Testament kind of stuff. You know, it's interesting because that same person's over here praying for a new job. They're praying to be able to have enough money to make the house payment, trying to figure out how they're going to pay for the kids' education. And yet, I'm just asking you, and reminds you that God has no obligation to bless any disobedient person. But you know the greatest thing we can do when we honor God is we can give ourselves to Him. And that's my prayer today. That you and I be willing to just give ourselves to Him. In 1970, with red pews and red carpet, I got up out of the fifth pew right side of Oakland Heights Sanctuary. The pews were straight then. And um, I made my way down on a Tuesday night and took the hand of the pastor at that time, Dr. Gene Petty, and I gave my life to Christ. And I ask you, how much can a seven-year-old boy know about Christianity? Here's all I knew. I didn't want to go to hell. I knew that Jesus loved me. And I knew that I was a sinner, but more importantly, I knew something was missing in my life and I had this strange draw of something inside of me that led me to say, I wanna be a child of God. And so, bawling my eyes out, I went on that Tuesday night, gave my life to Christ. And now, years later, I've never looked back and never doubted my salvation. Every youth camp, I mean, never. 
I know what happened at that moment, but I gotta be transparent with you. Now, after two more graduate degrees and a college degree and even teaching some university students, hey, I, I know a lot more from an eschatological standpoint or her hermeneutical standpoint. I know so much more now than I did when I was seven. And so just being transparent before you today, Almost every single day of my life, now in a little renovated barn out in Harrison County, Texas out here, every single day when I get up, I spend a few minutes in prayer, then I go to my prayer list of people and things that I'm praying for, and then right behind that, here's what I tell God before I finish my prayer time every single day. God, I know a lot more about you now than I knew about you in 1970. And God, I know a lot more about me now than I did in 1970. And so God, on this morning, what I wanna do is I wanna give my heart to you all over again. And every single day, I try to honor God by just bringing whatever I am, all my liabilities, a fat, stuttering, bald-headed guy, and any assets that he's given me. And my goal to honor him is to give it all over to him again. When we're facing an obstacle and a challenge that we think is too great, even in the midst of that battle, it's so very important that we always, always honor God. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, as we continue to worship you today, I just thank you for who you are in our lives. Every single day, we're learning more about you. Father, you know that since I walked into this place and I started speaking a moment ago that you have gripped my heart in the strangest way about something that I just sense that someone's struggling with in this room. And so, Father, I, again, I, I don't know who that is. I have no idea. But I just pray that if there's someone that has really run up against a wall, they're facing some really difficult circumstances or a difficult situation, I pray that something we've shared out of these five elements today may bring light and the Holy Spirit will use that in some way. Father, I just pray as we continue our time of worship today that you will plant in our hearts the seed of your word. Father, so often the rubble of these battles can be a great ramp and a gateway to get us to the very promises that you have for us that are before us. Father, give us courage. We know that courage is the door that swings open to the promised land. and It's just the courage to deal with the fear, not to evacuate or the absence of fear, but it's to help us work through that fear. So Father, just we're here as we continue in this time of worship to worship you, and we just take our hands this morning 
and we just lift them before you and we say, here we are, Lord. We just want to make a sacrifice of surrender to you today. We know that and that alone will be the greatest gift that we can offer unto you is our surrender. And Father, we love you and we worship you. In these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.